Welcome to This Engineering Life, the undergraduate series. I am Becky Simmons, an associate professor of the practice of mechanical engineering and material science at Duke University. I'm lucky to be joined with Sydney, Priya, Raina, and Richard, undergraduate engineering students also at Duke University. In this episode, we're talking about undergrad living at Duke, specifically Quad X. And we, all, we have some great interviews with students and also with Dr. Daly. Also, Grant, our co-host from last season, is joining for a few of the interviews. We hope you enjoy. Thanks for being here. Here today with Grant, myself, Fran, and a very special guest, Gary Bennett. He is Professor and Vice Provost of Undergraduate Education here at Duke University, and we are going to talk to him today about Quad X. Yeah, thanks so much for being here, Dr. Bennett. Pleasure's mine. Can we just kick things off? Can you tell us a little bit about what Quad X is and what it means for Duke students? Yeah, so Quad X is Duke's newly imagined residential experience. The idea behind Quad X is that we want the social, intellectual, and residential experience of Duke to be as exciting, as vibrant, as fulfilling as everything else is here at Duke. And so for the last couple of years, we've been fundamentally re-envisioning what the Duke residential experience can and should be, and Quadex is what it's become. And so we are fundamentally changing the structure of the residential experience, trying to infuse all manner of new resources and the combination of those two things we hope will lead to transformative experiences. That's exciting. Now, you're a vice provost of undergraduate education, not yeah. residence life, right? That's so, right. Yeah. will you chat with us a bit about what this means for education? I've heard talks of things like faculty fellows and the sophomore spark. What does this mean for students and how they interact with their academics here? Yeah, you're kind, Grant. So, like, usually people say, like, what is, like, your pointy-headed professor guide to playing around in the residential experience? The long answer there is that I'm a psychologist by training, right? And the fundamental learning for those of us in psychology is that you, you can't cut people up into like the like intellectual their intellectual life and divorce that from their social experiences and divorce that from the ways that they inhabit this place. Like we're whole people, and for for students at Duke to show up in the classroom um, in a fulsome way, then like I should be very concerned about the ways that they're living their lives outside of the classroom. And the challenge for those of us, um, for professors like me, is that it, it's easy for us just to get a small slice of what the student experience is at Duke. And, and so part of what I've been trying to do in this role is to blur the lines between the academic uh, organization, the academic part of the house, and the student affairs part of the house, just so that we can try to live in structurally into the idea of students as whole people and, and we so we can have our organizational structure mirror what I hope we the kind of ways that we'll show up for with and for our students. So yeah, so when I started this work, it was literally the first day on the job for me. Somebody from the president's office came by and said, Hey, so you know, we're thinking about doing this deep dive into Duke's residential experience and we'd like you to co-chair this committee with one of our trustees and, and I was I was blown away because I knew very little about about it. And actually it wound up to be very helpful that I knew very little because I 
with the trustee and a committee that was comprised of lots of different stakeholders. We did an extraordinary deep dive into Duke's residential experience and we benchmarked that against our very best performing peers. And as part of that process, one of the real gaps we identified was the ways in which faculty engage with students in and around their residences. We really are under-optimized there. We've, we've had a vibrant faculty and residence program on East Campus for a long time. But beyond that, you could go the next three years without ever encountering a faculty member, right? I mean, it's not surprising to either of you, but that's just not the way that many other institutions handle the kind of their residential experience. So instantly we identified that as a gap, and the question has been, how do we, how do we fill it? What we're trying to do actually with, so we've grown a whole series of programs that'll be part of QuadX. One of them is called Faculty Fellows. And the idea between behind Faculty Fellows is that we want to be sure that every one of the quads in QuadX has a faculty member who is one of our very best scholar teachers, somebody with whom you can connect and somebody who can help to make vibrant the intellectual lives of the quads but in a way that's really student-centered and really driven by the faculty-student engagement. Like we don't want people coming in and teaching their classes in the quads. We don't want the sage on the stage who's just going to come, you know, come in and sit down and invite people to come in and listen to them right and rave. Like, you know, we don't want the kind of almost transactional interactions that sometimes can happen um, if you're not careful. We want people who can come in and really just work with students to identify where the needs are and, and how they can fill them in, in a really exciting way. That's great. I was in GA freshman year, so yeah. I know what it's like to live with De- Dean Sue, mm-hmm. have her be there as, as a faculty and resident. I'm curious what the metrics for success are. How do you do quad X and you're like, oh, we did it. We succeeded. Oh, yeah. I wish we had an outcome like that, right? I'm a scientist. This is what we do in my science, right? Like you, you decide, a priori, you define like this is how we know it's going to work. And we, we sort of skate towards that. That certainly isn't the case here. We have short and long-term metrics that we're, that we're assessing and will be assessing over the course of the next couple of years. And we're really thinking about this as, as like iterative, right? Like there are going to be things that we try that are complete fails and that we'll have to, to rethink. And, um, and I imagine we'll have a, a whole host of wins along the way. Um, I mean, I frankly think the fact that more parties on campus in the last three or four weeks than you've seen in the last couple of years, I count that as a major win. Thanks, Grant. <laughs> and to be clear, like I count that as a, a win as a professor, right? Again, because it is better for me when in the classroom, when students feel like really socially engaged and feel in community with other students here. So that's that's a big win. So we'll, we'll continue to do that. So we're tracking everything from mental and emotional health outcomes, and we're tracking that on a monthly basis. We're tracking feelings of belonging, feelings of community. We're tracking things like academic gusto, engagements with faculty. We're tracking like how people feel socially. So we're, we're, we'll be measuring, we are measuring these things now. We have really good baseline data, and we'll be tracking these over, over the course of the next couple of years. So what was the motivation for the change originally? Hmm. There's been recognition, I think, over the last, particularly over the last five to 10 years, that in some ways we we were underserving students re- residentially in the sense that you know this has always been a place that was that had a vibrant and spirited social life but over the last 20 years that has increasingly moved off campus it wasn't that way and in my estimation it should not be that way right like this should be a place where the default experience residentially is is a terrific one what happened here is that 
you know, social life became increasingly segmented and became increasingly selective and moved off campus. And so it was striking to me to return here, frankly, um, as a faculty member early on and like walk across campus late at night and not see a social life in the middle of our campus. Like it's a real, it's a loss for us um, in some important ways. And frankly, also not to really have a connecting point with my students outside of the classroom in ways that were that were interesting and substantive. Like, you know, I rarely had a dinner with my students on campus or, you know, I rarely came back in the evening when I first got here um, at the invitation of students to do something cool in the residences. That happens other places and it didn't happen here. And so, you know, I think over time, there's just increasing recognition that we needed to think about this very differently and make the residential experience as great as everything else that's here. The way I sometimes tell my faculty colleagues is that like we aspire to, to be innovative and to have the very best scholarly experience of any institution in the country. We try to recruit the very best faculty in the country. We try to recruit the very best students in the country. We're the most spirited campus in the country, right? We have the best athletic program. Um, we have the best of the best of the best, and our residential experience has to also be as good as it possibly can be. You mentioned just a moment ago academic gusto and yeah. a sense of belonging. Will you dive a little bit deeper in this? Because I've heard you talk about it before, and I think it's something every Duke student should hear a little bit about. Yeah. So it's really notable about us, about, about this, is that we've, there was a study here done a couple of years ago called the Resilience Project, and it was a couple of years long study that really tried to examine what factors produce um, resilience, and, and particularly in Duke undergrads. So, you know, a lot of times I'm leveraging data that are collected in other places and other students, but like these are really Duke, Duke data. And one of the factors that came out was um, this notion of academic gusto. Um, the idea that you, know, you feel involved, engaged, enriched, like enlivened by the kinds of things that you're studying. And it was a really clear finding that when students felt like they had this level of excitement for and engagement with their work, those students were protected against some of the some of the emotional and behavioral and social challenges that can present themselves here. And so it sort of you know it sort of makes sense in a way, right? Like, but but it's one of these things like you come to a great institution because you care about studying the thing that you care about. But there are ways in which you can come to institutions like ours, and that and you know we can both in structural ways and in implicit ways kind of hamper that to some degree. If an institution like ours isn't careful about creating venues and experiences and opportunities for you to share how much you love doing what you do in a way that is socially acceptable, then there can be a retreat from that. And that, and we know that's a real challenge for, for our students. So we've been, we've been thinking a lot about how do you, how do you create this? And part of it is creating opportunities for students to share what they want, what they like to do, but also creating opportunities for students to connect with their faculty in ways that will enrich those feelings of, of gusto. I had a really great, like just as one example, there's a student here who's totally, you best probably know, who's totally into our architecture, the architecture of Duke, like in ways that are deep and profound and meaningful and frankly among the, the most impressive student experiences I've ever had here. This guy is gives, gives the best lecture on the Duke architecture that I've ever heard. I can't even, I, like it's stunningly good, right? So like watching, like walking around, and he doesn't study architecture, he studies neuroscience. So like walking around with him and having him show me Duke through his eyes and through his historical lens is like, a lot of fun for me, but it's also a way like for us to showcase the very best um, that like Duke students can do 
for, for and with our Duke students. And like that for me was a great example of somebody who has gusto for their work and an opportunity for us to like make sure that we're creating an outlet for that gusto to be displayed in really significant ways. We want to make sure we're doing that for all of our students. And so we'll be thinking a lot more about and do that. Great. Kind of reflecting on, on my own academic gusto yeah. and like people who've had influence on my Duke experience. And a lot of people are students who are a year older, two years older, who've yeah. been mentors to me and kind of like shown me what you can do with a mechanical engineering degree. And I'm curious if there's some component of cross-grade mentorship in the Quadex. It's a, it's a huge part of product. So part of the, one of the things that we learned when going around and doing benchmarking, peer benchmarking is that one of the best performing parts of a residential college system is the idea that you have multiple class years that are in that residential college. To be really clear, Quadex is not a residential college system. It's not an attempt to create a residential college system. We don't want a residential college system here for a whole host of reasons, but there are aspects of that experience that really do lead to serious feelings of belonging and great outcomes for our students. And this is one of them, the idea that like the verticality of being able to know that there are folks who can mentor you, even in, in implicit ways, who are just a year, a year or so ahead of you. In psychology, like we, we talk a lot about social norms and the norms that get created in social environments and that get passed on to people behind, or like you know, or this idea of like demonstrating mastery of things and that being visible to other people in a social system. And so that's a really important part of aquatics, and we're we're getting there by essentially having our first year students know what quad they're going to be in before they ever get here. And then once they get here, we almost immediately will start to create social experiences and intellectual experiences that showcase for that first year class what's going on in the quad in the upper class years. And in that, I'm sure we'll, we'll promote friendships. I'm sure we'll promote social connections. I'm sure that students will get involved in quad councils or in competitions or in classes or whatever. Like if I have my druthers, I'm going to teach a class on like, you know, how to make a great salsa or how to make a great, like, you know, Italian gravy on Sunday night or maybe how to do four-part acapella singing. Like I'm going to do something like wild like that. So hopefully we'll draw, we'll draw people from different class years. But even in very implicit ways, the hope is that by bringing those students together that will create a little bit more of that, of that vertical effect that can happen. At the end of the day, we're just trying to create the structure here. And if we do our job really right, that can question about outcomes, people won't know that we have anything to do with it. Like we will create a scaffolding and students will fill the thing. That it has to be that way for it to work, especially in vertical piece. How do you feel right now? I think student perception of Quadex is pretty mixed. Yeah. I think a lot of people are very unhappy with it. Some people could care less, and a few people are really championing it. Yeah. Well, what would you say to the student population? What are some of the pieces of this that you find are really important? Are you worried that maybe not everybody's currently on board? Oh, not at all. No, not at all. Let me give you an example. So I was very, very heavily involved in the development of the global nature years ago. And when we proposed that the global health major would be a co-major and would effectively require students to satisfy basically like almost like a double major, right? Like satisfy host of degree requirements in one in one department and combine that with a global health major. People thought and students thought, why on earth would you do that? Right? Like why not just create a single major? And we have the rationale for for why we thought the co-major made sense. And and I saw then what I've seen I see all the time, whenever you release a, a new program or a new initiative, right? Like, 
part of the leadership challenge is to be able to feel like to be able to design these kinds of things for you know reasons that comport with evidence or comport with your values and then they kind of stand in the gap while people are are disappointed or disaffected or feeling um, some uncertainty or you know and and be responsive to the inbound challenges right like some of the criticism of products has been very helpful for us to make course correct right like we are we are good with that but also to just say that you know in moments like this sometimes we have to try try new things they might feel good um but we should give it a shot see how it goes and if we have if we have the right leadership in the seats then those folks will make the adaptations that need to be made but ultimately fundamentally one has to feel good about, you know, feel like if you've done the right process to get to this, the outcome, then you have to give it a chance and it will eventually, you know, it'll work. And I saw that with Global Health Major, right? A couple of years later, people talk about, people come to me and don't know that I had anything to do with the Global Health Major and will tell me all about the co-major and why it's really important and how they've been able to blend it with all kinds of things that they do. They never know that I was stayed up in the middle of the night bugging my wife, like, what do you think about this? Or agonizing about, about whether or not this was the right thing to do. They have no deal, and I will never tell them that. Because at this point now, it is it just is. At some point very soon, Quadex will just be. There, will be, there won't be members of the old system. And I think that the new one will be something that I hope students will help to govern and create and change and shape and shift into ways that really just make it make sense for them. I have one last question. Yeah. When I do something like that's very involved and takes a lot of my brain power, it gets to a point where I'm so deep that I'm like, what am I doing now? You like have like doubts if you're in the right direction or not. So I'm curious how you take a step back or what kind of like grounds you're like, okay, this is the right direction. Mm -hmm. um, that's such a good question. So I just got finished doing a, uh, an oral history project about our experience in the pandemic uh, with Mary Pat. And one of the questions was, how did you keep yourself emotionally balanced during, during, the, during the pandemic? I love these encounters because like, I don't think about, like I am in my head a lot about this stuff, but I'm not thinking all the time. Like the job just moves really quickly, so you're often on to the next thing. So it was a really interesting moment when I sat back and Mary Pat and I responded very similar. similarly. And what we said was that during the pandemic, some, I think some people imagine that Quadex emerged in the pandemic out of these kind of like I think mildly conspiratorial reasons. It's not true at all, right? Like this all started well before the pandemic. But it's true that being able to work on something that we thought would be for the good Duke, that would be particularly useful in inviting our student community with one another and with the faculty after the pandemic was over. Like that was a really big part of helping us to navigate the pandemic. Um, and so it was great to have the outlet of imagining a, a different way of doing Duke to have to use as an aspirational target during that period of time. And what I found was that a big group of unbelievably passionate folks who have been thinking about this all the time. People have been working on a lot of people. Dozens of people have been working on this a lot. And so uh, the, the short answer to your question is that we check each other a, a lot on these things. We don't. We have non-overlapping expertise. You know, we have different experiences. Landy is a person who was, you know, who was heavily involved in her big organization, as was her husband, right? Like, so we have totally different non-overlapping Duke experiences. She was here in two thousand four. I was here in the late nineties. My wife was an RA. I was an RA. We've got Dukies of different generations and different times. She doesn't remember the bar on campus. I do, right? Like, there are all kinds of things in which ways in which we check each other a lot. And the other part of this is that we spend a lot of our time talking to students, a lot. And it can be hard for people to see that 
just because of the realities of the way that we all live our lives. But we spend a lot of time talking to students and we get a lot of feedback and I'm extraordinarily grateful for it. And what is hard for sometimes for people to see is the way that we have like, really changed directions pretty significantly on the basis of, of student input. So I don't know that we've, we've gotten everything right and I won't know that we've gotten everything right. I do feel very strong with that as we come out of the gates that we're as close as we can get to getting it right. And that as, again, as we move forward, like we're super open to change. We're very tolerant of the, of the potential, of the need to be uncertain about some of these pieces and, um, and we'll make changes as we need to. I appreciate it. And uh, I know I got into this originally because I was really upset about it. And I chatted with Mary Pat a number of times and she very quickly changed my mind. And I'm very on board with a lot of the future of what this holds. So thanks so much for chatting with us about QuadX. You have one last closing question. Sure. I'd like to ask this of a lot of really awesome people. Do you have a piece of advice for people you meet in your life, especially the Duke students? Something you live your life by, something you think everybody should consider and think about? It is really, really easy to be critical. It is extraordinarily difficult to inspire. So in my organization, the Office of Undergraduate Education, one of the things I often tell our team is that I don't tolerate cynicism. There are too many people who want to be sitting in our seats. There are too many people who want to do these jobs, too many people who want to work at Duke for us to be able to tolerate cynicism. It is a cancer in an environment like this. And when I detect like people on our teams being cynical about the student experience, about students, about the ways that the programs that we create and like their utility, like I, I just, it's, the, it's one of the very few things that makes me absolutely crazy. And I try not to miss an opportunity to call it out because it's just not tolerable. Part of being like in an academic environment is about trying to inspire. It is about innovating. It's about trying things. It's about being open to this experience. And so what I would say to our students is that I would hope that people can find a place in their lives and in their days and their weeks here to just enjoy the place, to love it, to lean into it. I don't want anybody to like walk in the street marching and, and like support the administration. But I do hope that people, that sometimes that the cynicism that I sometimes see is not the way that people are, are experiencing their Duke, right? Like, well, it's okay to be cynical about your administration, totally fine. Don't be cynical about your Duke experience. This place is too good. When my wife and I left here, we were we were running out of this place. We were just like we were we were gone. We were like, we need to get out of Durham. We need to move to the big city. And we got to a big city, and we instantly just realized how much we loved this experience and how important it was. And um, and I hope that you don't have to have that experience. I hope that each and every one of our students can just find a way to love the place while you're here because it's really special. I can confidently say I'm not excited to be graduated. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, is the right order. Yeah. You know? But uh, yeah, thank you so much for yeah. being down with us. I personally learned a lot. Cool. I hope all the listeners do as well. So Thanks thank for you for having me. I appreciate it. Hey everyone, I'm here with Catherine McMillan, a good friend and part of the student committees that have been helping to develop some of the pieces of Quad X. We're going to be chatting today about some of the work that she's done, some of the thoughts she has, some interesting pieces of Quad X that we think you'd be interested in. Um, welcome, Catherine. <laughs> Thank you, Grant. Um, it's exciting to reflect on my experience in this committee. I think it was a really great learning experience and it showed me a lot of the ways that Duke works behind the scenes, which is really interesting. 
Can you tell us for a sec what exactly this committee is you were involved in and how you got involved in the first place? So I was appointed to be on the NGLLE 2.0 committee generally from Dean Blackshear, who is someone who I've fostered a relationship with over the past four years at this point. And I would come by off of his patio on Sundays with several other undergrads and we would just talk about life at Duke. And one day he approached me and he said, Catherine, how would you like to be a part of figuring out the residential experience for the next five to 15 years? And I said, absolutely. So I preference specifically intellectual engagement just because I feel like that was the piece that I could contribute most to. I was a senator for academic affairs for several years at Duke and worked on different projects to engage the intellectual and academic experience of students at Duke. So that was the one that I felt immediately drawn towards. I got my first pick, obviously, and I was also the only undergrad on the intellectual engagement subcommittee, probably because it's not as, uh, you know, exciting sounding as East-West connection or equity, inclusion, belonging, but I felt like all of those values are part of intellectual engagement as well. So there were a few areas that we really dove deep into, one of them being our overall programming goals, like what is, what are we trying to accomplish by having this be a specific goal in Quad X specifically? Can you talk for a second, how is this related to Quad X itself? Intellectual engagement? Yes. Right, so there are different dimensions of the residential experience and one of them, I think, that Duke wants to start really prioritizing is having a rich and vibrant intellectual environment within the dorms. And so it's this reimagining of how students can be intellectually engaged, not just in the classroom, but where they live. I love that. I remember freshman year, Catherine and I were both in Blackwell and we'd have some very long drawn out conversations, the two of us and many others in the common room about all sorts of intellectual things. We had friends who were really involved in politics and had done some awesome projects at that, people who were really interested in scientific research and just the learning that I think we did informally in our residence hall, I really love. So it's cool to hear that that is something that Duke is stressing as well, especially on the upper class side of things. At least from my perspective, that dropped off a little bit after freshman year, just by the nature of how housing works out. So hopefully some of the work that you've done will eventually lead to a little bit more intellectual vibrancy with some of these residences in the future. Um, diving back into intellectual engagement, you're talking about programming goals. What are some other things that were, were goals there for you? Another goal that we had as committee was to also build out the relationship that faculty had in their residential experience. We know that there's the FIR faculty and residence program on East Campus, which places faculty in in the dorms or in the neighborhoods, depending on the configuration. And for me, that was a successful program. Honestly, I got to know many FIRs, Dean Sue, Professor Charbonneau, uh, Dean Blackshear, among others. And it was a way for me to feel like these amazing, intelligent, compassionate people weren't on, weren't like at a different level than me. I could relate to them as, as a human being and talk to them. So, and I think the goal of that is to 
remove that sense of barrier or impersonality that students have with their professor. Like if you're in a 300 person lecture hall, it can be intimidating to reach out to your professor or establish a personal relationship with them. But this program really values the importance of breaking down those barriers and encouraging kind of the two-way street that is the learning and the the teaching that can happen for both student to professor both ways that's really cool we actually spoke with shani daly and her interview was a part of this podcast and she's one of the new faculty fellows that i think duke has created with student input to really add to this piece of the residential living and when we spoke with her she talked a lot about how she was very dedicated as a professor to this exact same thing breaking down the barrier and being a little bit more informal with her interactions with students and making it so they could see her not just as a professor but as a person as well who's gone through the rigorous academic experiences we have someone that can be a mentor a friend and an intellectual thought partner so it's cool to see that coming along as well right and the faculty affiliates program which is the intellectual engagement subcommittees signature program that they want to start up on West Campus, I think it's trying to borrow some of that um, some of that structure that is on East and trying really just trying to bring faculty into the dorms, like which is exactly the model that's on East. Not the living component, but the intentional programming. But it, it goes back to do we want to over program students because right. there is an abundance of opportunities, free food exciting lectures and talks and and fun events and we do not want to overwhelm students when there's already a bunch of traffic in terms of things that they can do on any given day so for programming goals what we wanted to do was figure out ways to subtly encourage or advance a culture of organic intellectual engagement in, in, in the dorms both, I guess, from the faculty affiliate level and just general peer-to-peer interaction, because it's not something you want to prescribe. If people feel like it's forced, then they will rebel, obviously. Absolutely. So we were very intentional about that because we think students are capable of creating these environments on their own. But the issue is when they get out of environments where they don't necessarily choose who lives on the hall with them, then they get out of this opportunity to bump past with someone with a very different lived experience or, or intellectual experience at Duke. Because when you live with your friends, when you live with your community, obviously that creates a sense of belonging. And it could even be an environment for you to explore your academic pursuits, but you lose that sense of diversity of people around you. So that's just that's just a thought. And, and I'm not sure exactly where that's heading, but I think we were very intentional with making sure that nothing was overly programmatic. And then finally, there's things just related to quad leadership, which is you know just less exciting, but just figuring out where resources fit into the matrix of existing quad leadership. So the academic guide program, which is new and has this in-person presence in West Campus dorms, how does that fit into the quad leadership model with RCs, RAs, et cetera? How do peer success leaders, which is the revamped form of peer advisors, also fit into that? Just making sure that students feel resourced where they live. And that's why I feel like the intellectual engagement side of things is so versatile because it's about resources, it's about community, 
it's about exploration and it, it has to include all of these things. So with quad leadership, we're just kind of figuring out who needs to know what, who needs to know who, and what needs to happen, also oriented towards the programming goals to make sure that we're not duplicating efforts, that students feel supported, and that they can explore and create intellectual community on their own terms. That's super exciting. I was actually involved with some of the people who were designing the Quad Council leadership structure, and we were really intentional about having a position on that structure that was sort of maybe academic focus. We called them the academic chair. And the goal with that is not someone that's going to be duplicating any pieces of this, but as someone who is just a knowledgeable person in the quad who is in contact with the peer success leaders, with the academic guides, with the faculty fellow for their dorm. Someone who can sort of be a translator for what the quad students need and what resources are available for them on both sides. So it's exciting to see that there are programs there as well. No, that's amazing. That they can tap into. Then... And Catherine, another piece that the Intellectual Engagement Committee was working on here was, uh, I believe, a type of course called Duke Durham 101. Could you tell us a little bit about what that may potentially look like in the future? Sure. So the genesis for this idea was that, you know, we have intellectual engagement from the side of resources, from faculty, presidents in the dorms, and from encouraging students to, you know, celebrate discourse and exploration but we also took intellectual engagement to mean an actual experience like an actual academic experience and so duke durham 101 was imagined as this sort of half credit course for first year students that was designed to introduce them to both duke and durham we wanted to kind of have this address several issues one the fact that duke is a member of the Durham community, right? Like, it's not something to conflate that we should encourage students to also invest in where they are, which is Durham, a vibrant city with a lot of rich history. So the core content and template for these courses would be developed by the faculty and residents, the faculty affiliates, um, academic guides, and upperclassmen instructors. This is this is quite an ambitious project because not only do we want this to be led in the dorms by the FIRs or, or whoever, like whatever faculty um, member makes sense for that, but to also encourage upperclassmen engagement on East, which has been a challenge since the beginning of time. <laughs> yep, absolutely. I mean, speaking from the perspective of the FAC program, another program I was a part of, it's really difficult to get upperclassmen to really maintain those connections with first years after their role is particularly over. And I don't know, I, I as a first year would have loved and did love any interaction I got with the upperclassmen. Absolutely. No, I, I, I feel like peer relationships, I feel like this is what's so successful about many selective living groups is that you have vertical peer relationships where you have someone who's a mentor, a friend, and is invested in you and making sure that you're successful socially, intellectually, personally on campus. And particularly that that person is an upperclassman who's gone through the same things you have exactly. and has explored resources maybe you don't even know about. And I think it's one of the big goals here of Quad X in that when students become a part of their upperclassman quad, they meet, even from the beginning of their freshman year, upperclassmen who are, by definition, in the same quad as them, in the same community as them. And hopefully some of those relationships will start to develop. And maybe down the line, we can really 
blossom that upperclassmen engagement in East. Right, and that's challenging because many of my friends who are you know deciding between cl- classes, sometimes being on East is the make or break because God <laughs> forbid you have to take C1. You're Honestly, totally right. I have that bias too, but it's... Yeah, it's about creating the intentionality and creating a eagerness to want to continue to engage after that first year, which is really important. And Duke Durham 101 could could be an avenue to explore that direction. Okay. One being an optional half course, the other being mandatory. <laughs> okay, so kind of in the same vein as a writing 101 type of thing, but a little bit less formal. Right, less formal, probably less requirements. Um, in my ideal world, this would just be a like a quarter course, not even like a half course. Uh-huh. So maybe bi-weekly and not even a weekly thing, just to reduce strain and friction for students yeah. who have increasingly busy lives as they navigate their first year on campus and explore things that they want to because they have the power to make this undergraduate experience however they want. But we do want to emphasize that there are certain benefits to having students both understand that they are part of a larger community within Duke and within Durham. Yes. And that is really what we're what value we're trying to derive from this. So we could imagine a future where first years are required to complete one of these DD101 courses or at least highly encouraged to because they've heard from upperclassmen that it was a really great course. And so that we want it to be something that people voluntarily want to enjoy and and experience because it is central, informative in the Duke experience and not necessarily because it's prescribed. Oh, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, no, I absolutely love that, Catherine. Thank you for all the work you've been doing with this. If there's one big thing you'd want our listeners to take away from this conversation, what would that be? The most important thing right now as we ease out of the pandemic is to be really engaged and open to change. There are a lot of changes with the Quadex model that are happening, and I think it would be best if people just had a mindset of openness and willingness to try something out and to be a a part of formulating and contributing to that community rather than resisting it. Yeah, I love that. I'm in total agreement there, Catherine. I think if people not even necessarily buy into this, but just have that open-mindedness where they can see the potential success of some of these ideas coming through, I think there's a bright, bright future ahead of us. Totally agree. Thanks so much, Catherine. Of course. This Engineering Life is brought to you and supported by the Pratt School of Engineering at Duke University. A special thanks to all of our interviewees for sharing their experiences. Our senior producer is Dr. Rebecca Simmons. Our editors are Priya Juarez, Raina Verbensky, and Richard Kim. Our theme music is from Silverman Sound, Audio Audix, and Kevin McLeod. Be sure to check back in two weeks when we'll be chatting about ethics and engineering. You can find this episode and more resources online at thisengineeringlife.com. I'm Priya. I'm Raina. I'm Richard. And I'm Sydney. And this has been This Engineering Life. See you again soon.